Welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, associate producer and Starista's creative copy manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and AJ talk to Joel Harrison, editor-in-chief and co-founder of B2Bmarketing.net. He tells the guys how he went from urban planning to becoming a B2B journalist. They also discuss the success of this year's Ignite conference, as well as the importance of applying the punk ethos to the post-COVID marketplace. And Vincent worries about a book he has to read. Give it a listen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's Vincent Petrofessa, so you know what time it is. It's another episode of The Marketing Stir, brought to you by Starista. Starista, identity marketing company. We help companies generate new customers, enrich your current customers. But we also have my co-host on the line as well, the CEO, my partner in crime, with me always, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on? Hey, Vincent. I've actually been enjoying a little bit of uh, time off here. Well, not not in the work sense, but my uh, wife and kids are visiting her parents. So it's uh, back to being a bachelor. Yes, a bachelor without any of the perks, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> I know oh, I would love if my wife would ever listen to the podcast, uh, she would, uh, that'd be great. Go visit your family, Lauren. That would be awesome. And don't drag me. They're lovely by the way. Okay. Uh, but that is awesome. Couple days uh, to yourself, but you are very much working. You're constantly busy. You've been busy, uh, even busier. I think these last few months, right after, would you say you've been busier, AJ, after the the investment from from Wavecrest and all the exciting news going on here at Starista? Yeah, it's been a little bit busier. I think we've uh, you know added quite a few people, so just onboarding them and working with them to get them settled. Um, so yeah, I would say it's uh, probably been as busy uh, as I've been since maybe the early days. Yeah. You know, I, I've been talking to a lot of people. It's like, oh, is it dead? I'm like, I am busier than ever. Yeah, I am just busier than ever with just, you know, working with clients and partners and, and you know, this is the podcast, which, which I love. And we are growing every day. Thank you to all the listeners out there. We really do appreciate it. If anyone in marketing out there, uh, C-level executives, VPs, just no matter the field, if you want to be on the Marketing Stir podcast, please let us know. Reach out. We welcome the you know we welcome the people reaching out to us. So thank you so much. But let's get started today, AJ. We've got a very special guest today. I met this gentleman because I was on one of the panels that uh, was featured at this exciting conference. And I will get to that in a moment. But we are uh, calling in all the way across, is it across the pond, they say? Um, You know, please give a warm welcome, ladies and gentlemen, a marketing stir welcome to the editor-in-chief of B2B Marketing, Mr. Joel Harrison. What's going on, Joel? Hi, Vincent. Great to hear your voice again. Love to hear from you. Um, Things are good here. It's a rainy day in London, but I guess you're not too surprised to hear not that. Not surprised at all. You know, I was saying when I was in London, it I loved it. 
I loved the, you know, the people, everyone kind of outside drinking pints, you know, about three o'clock in the afternoon, loved it. But four seasons in a day, I felt like this was crazy. I felt yeah. like I was in like a Disney movie. Yeah, we, we like it to keep it like that. Keep it interesting. Well, so Joel, speaking of, you know, interesting, I, I love the work you're doing at B2B Marketing. Uh, talk to the people, for those of that don't know B2B Marketing, B2Bmarketing.net, B2B Marketing, it's, it's really, it's a community with amazing content, insight, people. Talk to the people who don't know about the B2B Marketing community and your role there. Okay, so I'll try and give you the kind of, there's a really long version to the story and I'll try and give you the not quite so long version. So um, so we're a, a, we're a community of B2B marketers. Um, you know, most our links, are obviously our history is in the UK, but we've got an increasingly large audience in the US and we ran our first conference um, this year uh, under lockdown, um, nominally in Chicago, but online. Um, we're, our mission is to, to celebrate, promote, um, evangelize for, uh, accelerate, you know, you name it, for B2B marketing as an industry. Um, we, you know, we, we established 15 years ago as a, as a magazine, you know, in a different, whole different world, you know, that's what media looked like, um, in the kind of early noughties and, um, and we can build a really good business around that, but obviously times changed, um, you know, life changed quite profoundly about 10 years ago and things had to go increasingly digital. Uh, we, we were already doing a lot of other things, but we accelerated that process. And now we increasingly, you know, we're very much online first, but we do an awful lot of events as well. So it's 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 a, a package of activities that's all built around the needs of meeting the needs of the B2B marketer. Well, we, as I say, we still have a magazine. We've got a big website, loads of content on there. We're a membership organization, so we do a lot of um, membership stuff for senior B2B marketers, CMOs, and marketing directors. Um, we have training. We have an award, two awards programs, one in the states, one in the UK, um, and we do uh, lots of other things: sponsored content and surveys and, and benchmarking, all those kind of things. So it's all about promoting B two B. Um, you know, we launched because in the UK, B2B was this under-recognized, under-celebrated thing. It was seen as a poor relation to B2C, to consumer marketing. It was what you went into if you were, weren't interesting or exciting enough to do consumer marketing. And we just didn't believe that. You know, we just saw this area that was just so exciting and so dynamic and so diverse that was just underplayed. So we've got into it, um, I say, kind of it's 16 years ago now and um, sometimes feels like longer and really defined a market. And you know, we've increasingly been active in the US now because I think that's, like I say, it's been treated so much more seriously there for longer and it's an exciting place to be. So we're really enjoying the kind of cross-channel, cross-pond fertilization of ideas and, and content and nuances and seeing how the same industry is played out slightly differently. And I think there's a lot more con connectivity around across the pond. And my, my, just to answer your last part of that question, I think, was what's my role there? So my role is editor-in-chief, which is a very kind of grandiose title. And really what it means is I'm kind of in charge of all of the content, the output, and the products that we produce. Um, and I do a lot of speaking and I host our conferences, which is where I had the pleasure of meeting yourself, Vincent. Yeah, you know, and, and thanks for that background. And and I became familiar with B2B marketing, the B2Bmarketing.net and, and the community and the membership there. You know, we at Starista was very fortunate to have been featured there in the past. And just this year, 2020, we're the top 15 fastest growing US B2B Marcom agencies. And, uh, you know, we're sixth. Last year, we were 15. Boom, we're going in the right direction. I love it. Uh, we are also one of the top US B2B Marcom agencies in the US. 
12th, up from 15. Love it. But that wasn't the reason, and we appreciate that, but that wasn't the reason that I said, hey, I have to have Joel on this podcast. It's really, we met because Starista and one of our uh, partners in Safety Chain Software had the honor of speaking at one of the conferences that was supposed to be scheduled in Chicago called B2B Ignite. And we spoke on revenue chemistry, the importance of data that plays within marketing and sales. And you, Joel, were our moderator. I was. And so we got, yeah, and, and we got some time to chat and we just had such friendly banter. You know, I was like, wow, a content guy. Look, he's got a great sense of humor. He's just not buried behind a computer and, um, you know, just kind of off in his own world. And you did such a great job moderating. And we had such a fun time. And that's what prompted me to say, hey, I got to, you know, we have to have Joel on this uh, podcast. So, again, that was a long winded story of me saying thank you and and happy to have met you. Well, likewise, I really enjoyed the session we did with Aaron. It was really good fun. Um, and, you know, I, the, the the conference was a really interesting ordeal for me because, as you alluded to, you know, it, it um, we, we scheduled it in 2019, you know, with no knowledge of what was coming with coronavirus. And you know, we had a choice. Do we cancel or do we go ahead? Um, and, you know, there was, there was a point where we didn't know if we were going to let in the country with the immigration laws. But so long story short, we went ahead, did it all digitally really interesting experience for me because I'm, you know, the conference took place in Chicago time, central time. I was in London. So the conference started at three o'clock in the afternoon and went through to 11 o'clock at night. So it was a real mind bender. Um, and, uh, uh, but so it was great to have a session, lots of amazing content. I would say that, but I really believe it's true, but it was great to have a session with yourself and Aaron, which was such fun. And you guys had a really great rapport going on and it allowed me to have a bit of banter with you. So, you know, that, that was really good at keeping me awake and alert because I was flagging at that, at that time because it was getting late. Yeah, we, we definitely, it was interesting to see because you know, yeah, we got to see people's homes and, <laughs> and, and, and we got to see like the lights are out. Um, clearly people were probably sleeping and, but you're still going and, and that goes for your, you know, the staff there, uh, you know, ba- based in London. But I, I will tell you also that, that I, and I remember the thing vividly, I was really looking forward to in person, you know, obviously, but I remember the couple things, B2B, the B2B marketing Ignite conference, you guys really did want it. Uh, in person because you you really yeah. were it was like almost you were holding your ground and i really love that about you. you were like wait wait no this is gonna this is gonna pass and then when you ultimately made the decision to go virtual i've certainly been to some virtual conferences in the past and and since then and i'm sure in the future but the way you did it was was excellent because the content was great uh, there was this feature that you guys did, and I still talk about it today. I talked about it on the podcast as well, where you were able to go into a room, uh, a separate instance, and network. Mm-hmm. And I'm a networker. You know, AJ knows this about me. I, I, I can't shut up about networking. I can't shut up just in general a lot of times. But I, it was the every three minutes, it was like speed dating. <laughs> For network for for networking, and I would be in a different person's home, and I was like, "What do you do? Oh, I do this, I do that," and it was three minutes. So if you couldn't work with the person, sorry, we're gone. If the person, you, you know, it, it was if the person had no interest in what you were doing, 
but if you did, you could connect. And I thought it was such a great idea, so much so that I've even started recommending the the service that you've used yeah. uh, to other companies. I think it was uh, Hopin. That's right. Yeah, I'll pop in. Yeah. Here. One of those emergency platforms. Yeah, sorry, sorry, I cut across you, Vincent. Sorry. No, no, but it's it's. Uh, I was I've been telling people like that's one thing about me. If I like something, people will know about it. I'm just that guy. But yeah, no, thanks. Uh, you know, the conference was, um, you know, was was excellent. Great content, and I like that the content now you could just get it all on demand as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm hoping. I, I I know you're going through the list. I haven't seen mine yet, but uh, as soon as that does come out, we will share that. Uh, as well. But um, one last for me, uh, you know, is the why B2B? Why did you flock to B2B? Were you one of those, as you said, Joel, like, you know, uh, B2C was too exciting for you or you didn't you didn't get into that area and, and B2B? What, what made you go to the B2B side? Well, so look, uh, I'm a journalist, right? I'm not a marketer. Um, so, you know, as a journalist, a good journalist, you you can write about anything. But so, so, um, so, so we, um, so basically, I'm one of the owners and founders of B2B Marketing. So we set up 16 years ago, and I've been writing about marketing um, in other aspects, different kind of niche parts of it, for about five years before then. Um, and a, me and a friend of mine just talking about what you know could we run our own business, what would work, and we spotted this gap in the market. Um, and um, my, my dad had been in direct marketing. He'd worked for Leo Burnett's and Wonderman's and people like that. So marketing was kind of in the blood, but um, there wasn't really an angle for it. And also, I'm a geek, right? I'm a journalist. I'm a geek. I'm interested in in deep technical subjects. I'm not that deep because I'm not like a I'm not I'm not a techie. But I'm, you know, I'm I. If it's too, it's only worth doing if it's a bit difficult, right? And I love explaining difficult or non simplistic things to people in a, in a compelling way. That's the joy of journalism. You do that right, you've done a great job. And writing about consumer stuff just isn't relevant for me. Just doesn't excite me at all. So it was a natural fit. Um, and plus, you know, from a business perspective, as I said earlier on, you know, in the states, you had this huge, thriving B two B marketing community, and and um, you know, it was very sad about what was it five or six years ago that B two B magazine shut down in the states. I'm, I was really gutted when that happened. Uh, but you had this; it'd been a thing from the states for a long time longer. So the fact that it was a big deal in the states gave us a lot of confidence that we thought, "Why is this not a big deal in Europe or, or the UK?" It's surely it's just been missed. And you know, they say that the the best ideas are the ones that just seem obvious, and this just seemed obvious. So we went for it, and um, it was an opportunity for me as a journalist to kind of mark, stake out my own territory, and do something which no one had done before. And I, I've done that, done that well, and I've enjoyed kind of evolving my job as now more of a kind of a thought leader. Thought is a I don't think you can describe yourself as a thought leader. I think other people have to describe you as a thought leader. Um, I'm a kind of commentator and evangelist for um, for the whole industry. And uh, I love the the connectivity and the friendliness of it. Because as you say, it's a really intimate, friendly industry. And people, uh, people the barriers come down really easily. And um, I must say, eas- more easily on the US side of the market. You know, us Brits are very much, uh, you know, we're more stuck up. You know, we're less, we're less, we're less friendly. <laughs> It's a joy coming to the states because everyone just everyone just so kind of open. So uh, so I love coming and um, uh, yeah, we went to Chicago because we went to the BMA Chicago we went for years for years and that was really good. And so when the ANA decided to, to to leave Chicago, we thought, well, thank you very much. We'll go we'll go to Chicago instead. Joel, our our industry is such that we have people from a lot of uh, different backgrounds and educational backgrounds, and I. Thought yours was uh, particularly interesting, given your uh, bachelor's is in urban planning. So, 
So, uh, uh, you know, and, and obviously nobody grows up to be in the uh, data or the agency world. Um, but I was curious, you know, what your aspirations were when you were in uh, college and what pivots you made in our crazy world. Well, the, the, the big thing that changed is when I was um, um, at university, when I was at college, I, um, I worked on the student union newspaper. I don't know if you have a, such a thing as a student union in a, in a, in a U.S. university or colleges, but it's, it's a, I guess it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a union in the trade sense, but it's, you pay your sub subscriptions to join it. And one of the things it does is have a newspaper. And I, and I worked on that. I worked up to the news editor and I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. You know, I'd, and I was at school. I'd done, when I was at high school, I'd written a, a kind of a magazine. It was more of a fanzine for, uh, in the kind of final couple of years. And that was loads of fun as well. And I thought, this is just great. This is what I want to do. So, so if you've established in your head, so the urban planning thing was fascinating. I'm still fascinated by it as a subject. Again, a great reason to come to the States because the urban structure is so different to, to the UK. Um, so I knew, but I, so I knew I, I didn't want to be a, I, I could have settled on being an architectural journalist, but if you, you know you want to be a journalist, it's a case of, okay, what do you want to write about? And as I say, marketing's in my blood. So my dad's a, a direct marketer for years. He was in at the beginning of direct marketing and all the book clubs and stuff like that that happened in the late 70s, early 80s. Um, and he was worked all the way through, uh, you know, into, into his retirement as a direct marketer. So it was always there. And, and um, it just seemed, when it came, it just seemed natural. So it doesn't really feel like I've made a, a pivot. It feels like I've just made it, I just evolved my career and I've just done what fascinates me because, you know, if you're going to be working for a, a lot of years, you want to be doing the things which excite you. And, and that job excites me more than being a, being an urban planner. Yeah, our uh, VP of sales recently uh, started a book club, and I think we have our first meeting either tomorrow or Friday. And he is often, uh, he's, he's very fond of Sandler, so I wasn't surprised that the uh, first book had something to do with Sandler sales training. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, he's making me read. Oh. <laughs> so, jo Joel, given your background in journalism, what are some of the publications that you read on a uh, regular basis the publications i read did you say yes okay well i, I kind of i mean um i obviously i read our own publication our own magazine I, I i love hbr i find it always fascinating i read the guardian which is a uk-based um daily newspaper um an awful lot um uh and and that's a, that's a constant source of kind of content for me um and i read kind of um you know some music magazines and things like that over here which is kind of more leisure time um so yeah but you know what it's like it's um you know these days you're often you're kind of getting your getting your content from a range of individuals rather than necessarily from uh, media publications or there are some that i'm i'm loyal to got it okay awesome uh you know what's kind of the biggest difference you've seen in traveling to us uh between when you first started coming to the U.S. and uh, compared to today? Well, the difference in how the U.S. B2B marketing has evolved, you mean? Correct. Yeah, how's okay. the marketing landscape changed? I think what's really apparent is the escalation in the role of technology, which is kind of an obvious thing to say, but um, I, think it's, I think it's really dramatic. And it's dramatic for me particularly because it, it's not as embedded in the U.K., to the same extent as it is in the states um so seeing that seeing how um the kind of vociferous pace at which the technology evolves and the extent to which it drives the agenda 
in the the industry is is quite staggering. Um, you know, the technology companies are martech companies are brilliant marketers. They are some of the best marketers or, or brands or most proactive, uh, innovative brands in the um, in the sector. And it's really exciting to see and what they and they're very good at shifting the agenda to the things which they're trying to sell. Particularly when you have them being backed by VC companies with deep pockets. Um, that you know that 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 can that buys a lot of airtime. So that's really really striking. Um, you know, I think um, and I think also it's interesting to see the extent to which the tech sector has kind of pulled away from the rest of the economy as well. It's just think about the wider tech sector rather than just specifically the martech sector. Um, how you know what they're doing? They're, they are um, instead of it feels to me instead of the um, the kind of the rest of the industry, rest of industry catching up. It's more that the tech sector is just becoming super innovative and super fast moving and and widening the gap between them. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a fascinating market and um, uh, and I think that one of the things that defines that is the is the the scale of the of the of the US as compared to Europe or certainly the UK, which is you know, 65, 60, 70 million people versus what, 350 million in the US. And that means that you need to deploy technology faster and more aggressively to be able to meet the opportunity that's inherent within it. Whereas in the UK, you can be a bit more analog um, and, uh, and, and less reliant on, the, on digital to get scale. So I find it fascinating. Joel, when did you sort of like, you know, and start entering into the U.S. where, you know, you obviously started out there. What was the year that kind of made you say, okay, let, let's uh, go into the U.S. Uh, market? And, and did it really start with the the, uh, the DMA shows, the Direct Marketing Association shows? It was the BMA, the Business Marketing Association, just to, just to be clarify that. Oh, the BMA. Okay. Yeah. Business yeah, Marketing. Sorry. Yep. My accent was confusing you. I apologize. Um, yeah, no, because there, there's a DMA within our industry as well that, uh, you know, we, we've been to as well. Uh, you know the Direct Marketing Association, which is now ANA, okay. uh, and you know they they have and they always had like a B two B sector as well. But uh, so the BMA, that's uh, and you know that show is not going on anymore. Yeah, well that so that also got acquired by ANA. Um, so ah. um, and so they they clearly they're doing a bit of a um a sweep up of everybody from the sounds of things. Yeah. Which you know we could discuss whether that's an interesting, probably not for this <laughs> conversation. Um, I don't have the precise date to hand. I, I guess it was probably about eight years ago. I first got kind of invited to come to the to the the BMA event in Chicago, um, and at the time it was kind of about a thousand people, which is significantly bigger by a factor of about three or four than anything we were doing at the time. Gary Slack, who was the guy who ran it at the time, was very welcoming and very open, and was great to have kind of dialogue and international connection he he invited me to get involved in the um and the community and it very quickly became apparent from feedback that people there was an appetite for what we were doing to come over and that was even before b2b magazine shut down so um so we were kind of we made plans you know i've got to be candid we had a bit of a full start a couple of years back where we literally tried to kind of clone ourselves and set up an office in chicago we got the wrong people we got the wrong strategy so we were trenched back but so this is a second this is our kind of second go this is why we, another reason we we're very keen to make sure the um uh the that we got it right this time and, and when we committed to do the conference to just to fulfill on that to follow through on that uh so so it was really important that we you know that, that we did that um yeah, and and the response has been great. Uh, there is a lot of people in the market, and we don't we think there's a lot of room for people in the market. Um, but I think we bring something fresh and um, a different approach. And I think that you know there there's a lot of people kind of very much at the kind of high end of that, the kind of analyst community 
who do a great job, but the price to play is quite high. Um, so, and I think what's probably missing is somebody is since particularly in, since B two B's demise and the BMA's kind of um, absorption by ANA is something more representative of marketers on the ground and some of the more practical issues they've got. So, you know, we're we're very a lot of our clients in the UK are, are global corporates. And so they have, you know, we're used to dealing with companies of that scale. So, and they have obviously have offices in the US where they're often parents in the US. So we're, we're kind of comfortable and it's, it makes a lot of sense for us to be um, kind of working with the same organization. So yeah, it's an exciting market and it's an exciting journey so far. And, and now talk to me about the roadmap of some of the future events you know the, the events i know right after the the chicago the us uh, event you did a london based event there uh, obviously virtual but it, it would have been in in, in london uh, you know get, getting more of the international companies involved talk to uh, myself and the listeners about some of the roadmap uh you know for the next year and have you deemed all those virtual just yet a glimmer of hope in person Good. It's a really good question. Um, you know, if I would sit here and tell you that I had a really, really concrete kind of cast iron roadmap, I'd be a big fat liar because it's very hard to plan anything event wise in this kind of current environment. Um, you know, the, the 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 London Ignite conference, which which happened at the end of June, so we've just really just finished that and kind of the dust just settling now. Um, that was the last event that we scheduled before coronavirus hit and so we're delivering something in a in a world which we an unknown world so now we've got the liberty of planning something in a known world or at least a better known world we have a conference we have a kind of a leaders forum conference in september which is going to be digital um because september feels too close and our next conference after that is our abm event which takes place in november and that's going to be digital too i don't want to go into the too much the details about it but um you know we have venues booked for these for these events but it's not always easy to get your deposit back on those things, but we just, our feeling is that even if things relax, things are relaxing in the UK over the summer and there's a very concerted push to reopen. Um, but I don't, you know, I think wisdom seems to be that it's more likely to be a second wave than, than, um, and things to be locked back down again in the autumn than the other way around, which is depressing, but I think we'd rather prepare for the worst and than be surprised by it. So we're going, and, and you can't you can't plan a conference where you're selling tickets um, with an, in an unknown world. You have to be able to say what's actually going to happen. We can guarantee digital will happen. We can't guarantee physical will happen. Further than that, into next year, we haven't, we don't know yet. Um, and you know, we very much hope to be in Chicago for next year. We've said to everybody that we will be, and we think we planted our stake in the ground. We we, uh, but we can't say for certain that we will because of the, all the unknowns. Yeah, crowded British pubs uh, over the uh, weekend. So I know it's uh, probably both a a good thing in that people are able to get out, but also probably uh, similar to what happened in uh, Texas with the uh, kind of a resurgence of the virus as well. Yeah, I, th I think it's at the moment this, the stats are saying that it's pretty low, but, um, you know, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? I think... And, um, People, people, I think people have endured long lockdown. We're not here to conjecturize about this, I'm sure, but people have been really good and endured it for a while. And I think, you know, that if they, they have to go back into lockdown, they they maybe would like to do it if they had they had some fun in the summertime, such as it is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my question for you: so I, I've had kind of a long history in my family of, in journalism, 
and uh, my starting with my grandfather. And obviously, journalism has changed over the years, and a lot of publications are in uh, much more trouble than they were pre pre internet. So a lot of what we see now is uh, a lot of pay-for-play type opportunities uh, where publications are asking for a, a consulting fee in, uh, in return. It's sort of like a wink-wink, we'll get you in the uh, top 10 list. And uh, what's hmm. your view in terms of the uh, print publication, how they're going to survive and some of these uh, pay-for-play type opportunities that are popping up more and more? Well, I think there's there's kind of two things in that really, aren't there? One is the role of print as a as a content consumption vehicle, and I think it does. To a, you know, you've seen um, HBR, for example, um, has gone quarterly in the last, I think, only couple of years, uh, because I think people's information consumption patterns are completely different. So, having a magazine which sits only sits around for a while and you consume it at leisure whilst you're getting bombarded by stuff digitally is more sensible. And we did that a bit before. I'm not kind of kind of claim we're better than HBR, but we've gone down the same route, certainly. Um, so uh, I think I think that's one thing is about how people want to get information. And they and they and they, I think people do value print, but they value it probably at a, for, to consume at a slower pace over a longer period of time. In terms of the business models of publishers, yeah, definitely hugely challenged. And, you know, your your kind of allusion to the, the fact that there's a little bit of perhaps um, I'm not sure if these are, these are words you'd want to associate what you said, but perhaps slightly dubious um, integrity issues uh, going on. I mean, we certainly kind of see that from time to time. Um, you know, I, I think that you, I think you have to have integrity to be to be a value. You know, we don't call ourselves a magazine. Like I say, we call ourselves a community and a, or, a, or an information provider. Um, and um, people have to accept there's a degree of you know you need to get revenue to survive but for me integrity has been always been fundamental in in what we're doing if i don't believe that what we're doing is objective and non-biased non-partisan i won't i won't do it and i'll tell my company that i'm not prepared to do it and I, like i say i'm a co-owner of it so i can i have the luxury of being able to do that my business partner and i don't agree on many things but he does respect my view on integrity um so it's critical does it happen everywhere uh, no i don't think it does um i think it it, it, it kind of depends on the politics of your local organization. Um, but it, a lot of it still comes down to um, to, to, to uh, relationships. You know, it's still a relationship business. And, and if anything, in many ways, that's the thing which is more likely to influence lots of factors than the other way around. You know, relationships uh, cultivate financial support for organizations. And that is as much as compelling as a reason why why coverage might be allocated either way so you know i don't and in some ways i don't think i don't think anything's changed it's just a, a new iteration of an old situation and marketers have to be sorry publishers have to be nimble to survive and embrace things like podcasting like what we're doing right now yeah no i i certainly appreciate your stance on the issue i think uh integrity is an important part of uh journalism and i think it gives a lot of credibility thank you i appreciate you saying that and one of the other things I noticed is you're involved with a uh, foundation called Green Hat Foundation. Would love to learn a little more about that. You know, it's it's a it's a small foundation. Um, with there, there are it's very much a kind of um kind of friends and family involved. Um, and we seek to allocate so we generate the amount of revenue from investments over the course of the year, and we give that back to worthy causes 
to, that seek to allow people with ambition to cultivate ambition, to cultivate the connectivity within groups, um, and and to to to, to fund their operations. And you know, we, we've not been as active as we could do because we've been we're all very busy as as, as professionals. But I found it fascinating just to see. You, it makes you really appreciate what it is that you've got. Um, and one of the things that I got from university environment or college and my, and my friends that I made there is this peer group, which is phenomenal. If you're and I'm I'm very I'm very lucky as I'm I'm very privileged. I was born in a privileged facet of society in that, you know, I've never wanted for anything in my life. Whereas if you if you weren't born into the advantages that I have and that and you don't have the benefits of, you know, um, speaking English as a first language at home or stability of parents or stability of income or stability of family friends um and 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 mentors and things like that informal mentors you 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 met your it's gonna be harder for you to make a success of your life and I think that's the kind of thing on a low-key way that we're trying to address uh, so Joel kind of from a personal point of view you're obviously very active on LinkedIn what are some of the things you do for yourself as well as your organization to uh, keep yourself and the organization in the forefront of uh, people's minds, whether it's for marketing, PR, etc. Well, um, one of the things that I'm doing, and actually, um, my we we made a conscious decision to change my role quite a bit when kind of the coronavirus hit, and we obviously, like many companies, had to make a lot of changes, um, and it, and in some ways, uh, it, it was kind of back to the floor for me. We've been doing uh, roundtables for our, I don't know if you call it that in the States, but basically regular meetings. It was part of our membership. We have regular meetings in the office where where CMOs, marketing directors, VPs could come in and talk about a particular topic. Um, and, you know, we thought about doing these digitally, but we had never kind of make, made the leap. But lockdown meant there's no choice. And also one of the people that was running them was we kind of moved around. So it was down to me again. And I, I it was... A wonderful moment because I started running these sessions, and it was just great to be able to connect about something so kind of visceral and now about like like coronavirus. Um, and I'm I'm a ba- I'm a great student of kind of the history of popular music, and I don't know if you know much about punk as a kind of movement, but punk for me, like you know, the, the arrival of the Sex Pistols, and I guess in New York you had the CBGB scene and things like that. Um, uh, you know, punk meant that anything that happened before was irrelevant, and and coronavirus is a bit like that. You know, whatever your plans were, whatever you thought you were doing just come rip them up you know and start again and so it was a great moment and and we we've carried and well sorry let me rephrase that it was it was a great moment for me to get my finger back onto the pulse of what's going on having kind of moved a little bit sideways from some of these things um and it was and you know we've got fantastic feedback from these roundtables we've been doing um lots of great lots of input lots of great participation so that's a key thing for me Doing the events is really important as well. You know, like as as um, as Vincent was saying, you know, I I I I um it was two days of conference and I sat through everything, I listened to everything, and I made asked questions and made notes, and so that's like a, a huge download of things. Um, you know, and, and just reading and following people that I know and, and people that I respect in the market, seeing what they're doing, seeing what they're talking about, looking at what's going on. So, you know, I think we're in a really interesting place right now where everyone's in a um, more kind of more aligned around the challenges they're facing. Everyone's facing similar kind of challenges to a greater or lesser extent. So in some ways, it's kind of easier to get a sense of where everybody is. Um, but I think keeping your ear to the ground is really important um, at the moment. And, and, I'm, and I'm really enjoying the process of doing that. And, and I think, you know, one of my, uh, yeah, how I, and, and then re- reiterating that into blogs and podcasts and, and webinars, uh, which, I, again, I also love doing. We do a lot of webinars and podcasts. 
And and Joe, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, you know, what uh, you know, get that insight here. What what's been what has been trending right now in the B2B space? What 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 have you been focusing on? What are you hearing? Uh I'd love to learn more about that. Well, one of the first things that we focused on when we the, the round tables is that talking about the agenda of a CMO or a marketing director, it was it was the first thing was like, oh my God, how do I stabilize my team? Because they are, um, everyone's in this complete, well, often in this new situation. Um, I know that working, you guys are a, a distributed organization. I can see that you're all over the US. Um, but, you know, in the UK, people are generally office based most of the time, if not all of the time. So to be going to working from home and then in a time when, you know, some of them being furloughed and um, it was it was a huge sense of uncertainty. People people just not knowing what what the future looked like. So the initial role for the CMO was to was to just provide some some certainty, some constancy, some clarity, um, and just help people navigate this this landscape and, and deal with the a lot of un, the, the kind of um, the the kind of resilience issues that were coming out of um, this this scenario. So that was the first stage, and then the first stage was then okay, listening, customer sentiment, understanding what people were thinking and feeling, um, and, and really getting a handle of that, and and that put a new that was something everyone knew was important. Customer centricity is easy to say, but often more difficult to actually enact in real life. So people spend a lot of time thinking about that. But at the same time, you had um, uh, you had uh, messaging. So all of a sudden, um, messaging had to change. You know, whatever how whatever language you were using to talk to your customers had to change. And we had a great session. We've got a great blog on this with a guy called David McGuire, who's our copywriting trainer. You know, and all these things, you know, it's like, we and we did um, uh, a bingo uh, card. Bingo, David's got a particularly great blog about this. It's like... Um, coronavirus language you shouldn't use you know things like in these unprecedented times and now more than ever and all the cliches and so all of a sudden you had a whole host of cliches that became apparent and he had a great quote about everyone was telling you that um um we're here for you you know even the guy the, the company that does the parking um permits in his town sent him an email saying we're here for you no you're not you know this is like this kind of help wash thing that was going on we're trying to be helpful but actually they weren't they're were just being annoying and um and 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 uh and ungenuine if that's the, I don't think that's a word but it is now so there was that and then I think the other thing that came across really strongly then after that we had um uh brand purpose uh, what are you actually uh, there to do that's been something which goes into focus because it's about being authentic so you, you know authenticity comes to the absolute forefront of everything so it's caused a lot of people to look at their brand purpose and reevaluate that um and then um but and then on a practical level the other thing that's been hit home and you, Vincent, you and I were talking about this earlier on, is sales enablement. So, you know, all of a sudden, salespeople cannot physically see, get in front of their prospects unless it's on a Zoom call, which, let's face it, is great, but it's not the same. So marketing's job is then to help. Sales enablement has been kind of bouncing around as a topic for years, but never really seemed to really kind of been kind of grasped and, and taken to people's hearts. And But now it's it's just taken a whole level of new resonance. And marketers have to help salespeople to reacclimatize readjust reformat what they do and how they do it for this new environment and so that's become absolute issue top topic number one right now sorry i spoke a lot then so is there a brand uh, that you have been particularly impressed by with their b2b marketing uh, as of late or a particular campaign that you looked at and thought wow that's brilliant well, it would be remiss of me not to mention Embraera, uh, who have won. Uh, they won. So we do an awards program in the US. It's our first year this year, and we do one in the in the UK as well. And um, they have they won the US. I believe they won the campaign of the year in the US awards, and they won it in the UK award as well, and they won it in the UK awards last year as well. So 
it's I mean Brera Brera. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right. They're a Brazilian uh, firm of air, airplane manufacturers. I guess they probably the business will be a little bit dented in this the last six months. Um, but the campaign's been fantastic, and you know you can read about it on our website. Uh, they've they've kind of reinvented it over a course for a few years. It's done by an agency called Gravity, who've done great work on there. So it's been a hugely successful campaign, which is a classic example of the kind of big long idea. They've kept it going. They need to develop it, and um, uh, congratulations to them. And uh, Joel, I, I agree with you. I was laughing when you were saying where the people, uh, you know, reaching out, like everyone was, oh, um, we're here to help. We're here to help. You know, uh, I'm really concerned. And then they'll like spell my name wrong in the, the email. I'm like, well, you're, you're obviously not concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was like, you're spelling my first name wrong. Wait till you get to my last name, buddy. It's, uh, but no, I, I hear you. Uh, Joel, as, as, uh, as we start to wrap up, you know, just some, Let's get into some uh, more of the, you know, the fun, the personal stuff. You know, you've been home, working from home. I'm sure you don't normally do that. But what, what have you been doing the past the time? Listening to punk music, watching some shows. Uh, you know, talk to me about that. Oh, God. You know, I'd love to say that I've been, I've got a load of um, wonderful hobbies that I've taken up. You know, there's a wonderful, you know, all these, oh, I've learned a new language and I've run three marathons. Nothing like that. Um, <laughs> I've got a two and a half year old um, and um, learned what you call kindergartens, we call nurseries, um, were closed until about three weeks ago. So until three weeks ago, my wife and I were kind of juggling, not physically juggling, but, you know, literally. <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't be good if you're physically juggling them. He's little, but he's not that little. Um, and <laughs> so so that's been a really big, and, and we've just been trying to spread work around that. So not a great deal. I have been, um, you know, I've been, I, I'm a bit of a runner, so I've been doing a bit more running, which is really good. Um, I've been doing a lot more gardening. Our gardening looks phenomenal, our garden looks phenomenal uh, since then, we've got a little garden. And um, one of the things, we, since we've started going back to the office a little bit more, I go back a couple of days, a couple of half days a week, cycling in London is so much better because there's no traffic there. And, um, uh, you know, and there's not people, as you said, as you guys have both mentioned, there are no people spilling out of the pubs with pints in their hands at the moment. So, you know, you can, you're not going to get run over by a drunken person, um, which is, which is definitely adds to my state of my peace of mind when I'm cycling through London streets. Oh yeah. So, and, and definitely, I'm sure the, the little one keeps you busy. I have a three-year-old and my wife and I, we just, uh, had another child, oh. uh, you know, during, during the coronavirus, wow. uh, as, uh, as I pointed out in, in my slide deck, we, uh, April 22nd. So it's, that keeps you busy, but it's also like, wow, this isn't the best time to have a child. <laughs> but, uh, but it's, it's been, uh, it's been crazy. What about, uh, your favorite football team, your, your favorite uh, soccer team out there? Yeah. Bristol city is my favorite football team. They are, they are in the second tier down. So you probably would never have heard of them. Um, you know, if, if I had to choose one, um, that you might've heard of, I used to live, I, I was a big Arsenal fan. I used to live very close to Arsenal who I believe is owned by Stan Kroenke, who I think he used to own, owns quite at least one American football NFL team. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a bit of a, yeah. I mean, I think it's fashionable now. If you own an NFL side, you've got to have a, a, a Premier League team as well. You know, otherwise you're just not up there. You've just not got enough money. So they all yeah. are coming over here and buying one. Yeah, people think, oh, it's like, oh, that's, uh, you know, poverty if you don't own two. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. But, uh, you know, lastly, so some a marketing pet peeve of yours that is really just uh you don't really don't like oh god um <laughs> he's like there's 11 of them yeah. <laughs> I, I wish i'd prepared because I, i'm not going to give a very good answer and, and i'll go away and i'll think about a 10 more that i hate i hate even more one of the things that i find myself saying that i hate um is 
you know, how language was a deep dive i wound up saying a lot and i hate that i i just i, I it actually is quite useful because it does what it says in the tin but it just it does it it, it grates it grates on me an awful lot um so um, i'm sorry if you use that one guys i'm sorry i apologize now well, yeah, well, now I was just going to say, let's take an even a d- deeper dive on that. But no, you know, that's the first time anyone's ever, on the podcast, anyone's ever said it, that my pet peeve is something that I do. That's, uh, th- that's actually, that's an interesting one. I, I like that, Joel. So, uh, you know, and uh, people could find Joel. He, you also host a podcast. It's the, it's the uh, B2B marketing podcast. You could go to b2bmarketing.net yep. there is there uh you know premier premium memberships there is free memberships that you could sign up yep. for uh keep an eye out for the virtual events the webinars podcasts uh, there's a lot of content on the site it's free um there's a, some the top end content is m- members only but a load of stuff you can get for free and you can sign up so you can see what what's available and we do previews um and um you know, if you're interested in ABM, you know, there hopefully there'll be some, some of the aspects of ABM which you can come along and see at our conference in November. We can do a deeper dive on the <laughs> B2B market. <laughs> yeah, and that's awesome. That's a great way to end it there. Uh, this has been awesome, Joel. Thanks so much. I hope to, you know, finally meet you in person at uh, one of these events and uh, grab a pint with you and uh, just talk shop. And uh, this has been great. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. He's been, uh, you know, he's been Joel Harrison. And this has been a great episode. Thank you so much. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. Thanks for listening.